0: Hello and welcome to On the Road with the Legal Talk Network. I'm Dennis Kennedy and it's a pleasure to be here with you. Today we're recording from the Expo Hall at ABA Tech Show 2020 in the center of the litigation analytics world for today, Chicago, Illinois. Joining me now, I have Warren Egan and Ben Allery, and uh, welcome to the show, both of you. Thanks, Dennis. Before we get to our topic, uh, I think we, of course, want you to tell us a little bit more about yourself and uh, where you work, what you do, and we'll, we'll start with you, Warren. Oh, that's great, because I always have the hardest
1: time describing. I wanted a little bit of time for Ben, because, you know, Ben's job is easy to describe. Mine's a little harder. So I'm a managing director at Elevate Services. It's a law company. Uh, Basically, they do a variety of things, bring expertise to help law firms and law departments do their work better for their customers. And uh, almost the one thing we don't do is practice law, although we do have a group in the U.K. that has a license to do that, and the wor- the group I work in is called Digital Strategy and Solutions. It's a it's a new effort. It's headed up by Brian Kuhn, who used to be at IBM Watson, and it's really about a combination of, of digital strategy consulting, and uh, and digital solutions. So trying to find ways of helping the customers do the things that they they want to try to do, and it's it's really fascinating. And in terms of what I actually do, it's a almost ever-changing combination of doing data science work, um, subject matter expertise at work, digital strategy consulting, product design, and project management.
2: Cool. Ben. I'm a co-founder and CEO of Blue Jay Legal, which is a legal technology company focusing on legal prediction. So we use the machine learning algorithms to predict how courts are likely to decide new cases based on their facts. We're, we're, we're kind of doing deep analytics and, and predicting on the merits of cases, how those cases are likely to be decided. I also have uh, another job, which is as uh, the Osler Chair in Business Law at the University of Toronto. So I'm, I'm a full-time tax academic uh, at the law school uh, at the University of Toronto. So kind of wear both of these hats. Uh, and I, I, I come to uh, the work at Blue Jay Legal as an academic, and it really is an outgrowth of my academic interest.
0: Cool. So. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what you were talking about today? And, uh, if, I, I mean, I think our listeners know that uh, the world of litigation analytics is a hot, hot area. So, Warren, do you want to start yeah, us? Yeah, I
1: guess. Well, we were talking, um, we covered a broad variety of subjects. I mean, we really sort of started with the basics, these kinds of script of analytics that are available today from a, a lot of companies like, you know, Westlaw Edge and, and Lex Macina and uh, Docket Alarm. And, and so forth, and we talked a little bit of how you could use those and uh, the dangers, like you know how what you had to be careful about in using that kind of information. Uh, we talked a little bit about how machine learning starts to tie into allowing you to do more advanced analytics. Uh, we spent some time talking about the more sophisticated kinds of things that you know Ben's company is working on. Ben could certainly describe that better than I do, although it is I think fascinating and certainly I think we're a lot of the analytics and legal case prediction are gonna go.
2: I think that accurately summarizes a, a ton of what we talked about. Really, what we know is that legal prediction is the next big thing that's gonna happen in legal technology. Legal prediction is so, so powerful. And it really is the basis of virtually all legal advice that lawyers give. When, when an attorney's giving advice, it's based implicitly on a prediction about what does the law actually require in this circumstance. Now. That needs to be translated and contextualized for the client. But that prediction, that implicit prediction, whether it's a, as Warren was saying, it's a hunch, right? And mm-hmm. using current technology, often lawyers will have a hunch about what the law requires in a particular situation. But I think we can, we're learning that we can do better using deep analytics to actually transcend hunches and actually root something in math and yeah. using, using AI, using machine learning, whatever. Description you want to use to describe that mathematical statistical analysis that gets done. We can use math to predict what's likely to happen if something is to go to court. And then that informs legal advice right across the spectrum. Now, it's starting in particular areas, um, but the next couple decades are going to see uh, an explosion of interest in legal prediction.
0: So we all know that lawyers, if you push them, will say... I went to law school because I didn't want to do math. And so I think that lawyers, you know, will feel comfortable with the the idea of analysis. But when you start to talk about analytics and then we go to math, I, I think they really start to get uncomfortable. Yeah. So do you have some simple examples of what maybe like a, a lawyer might might be looking at what sort of data would they would they analyze that would be helpful
1: yeah well first i i want to make sure that um, ed walters has the credit for the hunch line <laughs> because that's that's his line that's his line and uh, i did use it during the call uh during the talk but i gave him credit so but i think one way of thinking about it is not about the math the math can be done in the background and. Uh, the lawyers who know how to do the math can get themselves comfortable with the math. They can learn to do some really interesting things. I'm pretty sure, Ben, that people don't have to learn a lot of math to use your product. Correct. Right? They have to understand what kinds of the what the facts are and what the legal structures are, and they have to be able to use the software. And it's probably very easy to use. And it's the same with a, a lot of the other techniques or things that are out there. You, you don't necessarily have to know a lot of math. I would say this. I think it's helpful to understand the basic concepts behind statistics, the idea of distributions and the idea that, in fact, you can compute exactly what's going on, like that you can apply mathematical techniques. You don't have to be able to do the math, but you should be able to understand the
0: concept of working with numbers. Okay. And then... Ben, to follow up on that and maybe you can expand on it as well. So so your customers, what typically are they they looking at that you would say, oh, we're analyzing this. Do you have uh, things that are either popular or that, that people found really useful at this point?
2: Yeah, so we, we have products in market now in tax law and also in employment law. And so the kinds of things that that come up in tax litigation and employment litigation would be kind of core to what we're doing now so i, I think a textbook example of this would be and it, it applies in both tax and also in employment law is is a particular worker going to be classified by a court as an employee or an independent contractor if push comes to shove right the the you know this chestnut the uber question our gig economy workers going to be treated as employee or independent contractors naturally there's a tendency on the part of gig economy employers to take the position that those workers are independent contractors. And naturally, you know, those who are militating in favor of employee rights are saying, no, no, these workers should properly be considered to be employees. And this has led to law reform in California and elsewhere. Just being clear about, you know, what demarcates uh, an, an employee from an independent contractor Turns out that there's a rich body of case law in tax and also in in employment standards uh, that addresses this question about whether a worker is an employee or an independent contractor. You can use our technology. We've done this. We've actually created a system that will allow you to predict with a very high uh, rate of accuracy whether a particular worker is going to be classified, is likely to be classified as an employer or independent contractor based on the specific facts of that interaction between the hirer of that worker and, and the worker themselves.
1: Ben, do you have people using the software not for litigation, but for literally thinking about how they structure their employment processes?
2: Yeah, so people use the software for planning purposes and for compliance purposes. And, and yes, of course, it's useful in litigation. Almost the best use case, though, is in that planning context where uh, a, a corporation comes to uh, a law firm and says, we want to hire all these workers. We're worried that we may not get it quite right and create some you know, significant potential liability in the future. Let's just address that up front. Let's do our due diligence. Let's document this. Let's put this in place. We don't want to pay a fortune for a, a full-blown legal opinion. But can you just- right. Do like a, a quick scratch and sniff on this one and tell me if if this is going to pass muster, if it's examined sometime and later.
1: And you can give them some sort of risk assessment. I mean, this is something we talk about a lot at Elevate, which is the idea of, of the practice of law being less about resolving disputes and more about risk management and risk avoidance. So bringing, sort of moving moving the activity of the lawyer further, further in time, earlier in time to... Uh, you know, where you can really avoid problems. And being able to give people a number is a really big, important part of that. Because traditionally, if you just simply, somebody comes in, I want to do it this way, and you say, ooh, that might be a problem. Well, that doesn't mean a lot to a businessman, right? All you're doing, and they may view, view you as a blocker, or you're just standing in the way of me doing what I think I need to be doing to be successful in my business. If you go and you say to them, the way you're structuring this, well, if it gets into court, you have a 75% chance of losing. And when you lose, here's what it's going to cost you. And by that point, where right, you can get the, the numbers out. They may still go ahead and do it, but at least they can make an informed business decision.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, to me, it's uh, what's interesting is exactly what you're saying. It's sort of like where the creativity comes in. You go, okay, so I have this information. And in a way, now I have some evidence. So mm-hmm. instead of, like you said, instead of a haunch, an assumption, I actually have something there and I can make some kind of assessment. And what I like here is, you might originally think you're going in and looking at you know, uh, the probability of a litigation result, but it turns into like a risk management or like an em- employment helper tool right. for your client. That's super creative. Potentially creates a, a, a new business a new business model. So so I love that, and I'm I'm glad you guys emphasize that. So one, one thing I think is interesting when you look at the analytics, and I know you guys were talking about the the predictive ability. Um, it's kind of interesting that we have all this historical information, and then we have to kind of make a flip to say, okay, what's that going to tell us going forward? And I guess that's where the the understanding of statistics and our statistics in your your tools help you to say, say, I have like a a confidence level of what's happening or some possible scenarios. How do you you guys work with that? And how should people start to think about that? Say, how can I move from historical to predictive?
1: You have to start with the historical. I mean, that's really what it is. You have to start with the historical and then you have to manage to find the way of linking up the historical data with the outcomes. And that, that sometimes is a very difficult thing to do. Particularly, you have to do it at a litigation level to a large extent, right? And you have, to, you have to be tracking that information somewhere. And that's something that I think a lot of companies and or, or law firms are really struggling with still is how do you collect that information? How do you store it? And how do you link it up? And how do you deal with the fact that some of these things take long timeframes? So it's definitely doable. And I think we're getting there slowly. Okay. And Ben, your
2: thoughts on that? Well, one thing that I think is very clear is that if you start with a very good prediction based on the historical record, what would happen historically on these kinds of facts, that's a fantastic starting point uh, to anchor on and then adjust from there based on what you know less formally about the the current context. So if, for example, you ran the analysis of, of a gig economy worker and it said, oh, this worker is... 55% likely to be characterized as an independent contractor. I, as the attorney looking at that, might say, well, based on what I know about the way popular opinion is is tracking here, I wouldn't bank on that being a true 55%. I might say, actually, the better guess is that these workers might be characterized as employees, because that's the way I think society's going and thinking about this. So- it's a fantastic starting point, but it still leaves room for the the creative imagination of an attorney and, and bringing in different forms of information that they have that, that just isn't represented on its face in the historical record.
0: Yeah, it's like the AI notion. It's not the AI is the smartest or the human is the smartest. It's the combination of the right. two that becomes right. really interesting. So. One area of the analytics that really interests me is the is the movement. I don't know whether you, I hope you guys can speak to this cuz that's what I want to hear from you is as uh, we move from that data we have and looking at it to the litigation funding, litigation financing world and the interest in the money that's going into that. What are you, what are you guys starting to see there?
1: You know, a lot of litigation funding is not built upon base analytics, but we're starting to see a couple of companies that are doing that. I think it's a really interesting question mark. One of the things about litigation funding is there's such a such difficulty in understanding what things are actually worth that I think it's been a fairly profitable area to be in if you can get the customers. And the reason is because you've got this, this risk gap, right? So essentially, you can charge a lot of money for that funding. And I think as it becomes more refined, it's going to be cheaper. Whether you find more people or less people coming into that particular re- field, I, I, it's, it's, it's a little hard to tell. So it's, it's hard to
0: know where that'll go. What are you seeing, Ben?
2: I think it, it's clear that there's room for a lot of growth in that industry. And I think as we have better tools for, for assessing risk and financing uh, litigation, it, you know I, I think there's going to be a, a ton more growth um, as those frictions kind of the, the imperfections in the market kind of recede, we're just gonna see, I think a ton of growth in that direction. I know some commentators look at this and, and say, well, really uh, this legal tech is really gonna make law into a FinTech kind of space. Uh, I don't see that yet, but I can imagine that that being a path that this goes down.
0: That's a great note to end on and it's just a way, it sh- illustrates some of the pressures from technology and other places that are, are really kind of coming into the legal profession as a whole. So uh, we've reached the end of the road for this episode, uh, somewhat unfortunately, cause I'd love to keep talking to you guys, but uh, I, wanna, I wanna thank you both for joining us today. So thank you, Warren. Uh, thank you, Ben. And if our listeners have any questions or wish to follow up, uh, how can they find you,
1: Lauren? Uh, well, I'm at, at analyticlaw.com, and they can certainly find me on LinkedIn. And uh, thank you very much, Dennis, for having us.
2: And Ben? They can find me at bluej.com, B-L-U-E-J, just the letter J, dot com. All right. And uh, we
0: also uh, want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate us and review us in Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your personal favorite podcasting app. I'm Dennis Kennedy. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today,
2: please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com.
1: Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes.